This evening's reading is taken from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what they sorry, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jenny, very much indeed. Uh, well, uh, can I introduce myself? My name is Simon, and uh, I'm the vicar here. I've been here for nearly two years. Uh, most of that has been in lockdown, so uh, I'm still a bit weirded out by most things that happen here. Uh, I became a Christian when I was sort of between 15 and 16, uh, and uh, I have been a Christian ever since, and I've been uh, doing the sort of working in the church thing for about 25 uh, years. And tonight, I'd just like to share with you why I believe in God. Uh, because we're looking at a, uh, a, a very old uh, thing that was written down, probably first written down in the second century AD, so sort of 18, 1900 years ago. It's now called the Apostles' Creed. And the early churches were, were trying to summarize the big picture of the Christian faith and trying to distill it down into a few sentences. And the first really successful attempt at doing that was at this thing that we now know as the Apostles' Creed. And it begins uh, with, in English, the four words, I believe in God. And I just want to share with you why I do believe in God. And uh, in a sense, want to find out from you maybe afterwards, you know, where you're at and uh, what you believe. Because one thing we know for sure is that everybody believes something. It's not just Christians or Muslims or ardent atheists who believe things. We all believe things. Uh, the question is, what do we believe? And does uh, the evidence for what we believe, does that stack up? Uh, does it look reasonable? Uh, is, are there good foundations uh, for what we believe? So I'm just going to very briefly uh, run through a few things. Why I believe in God. First one is that we are here at all, that there is a me and there is a, a you and there is an us. If you uh, played with a really powerful zoom lens and you just went back and back and back and back until you could see, let's say, the whole of our galaxy, uh, then you would, of course, notice what a tiny little speck uh, in the galaxy our Earth is. And then you kind of, if you could somehow zero in on Winchester, that would be an even tinier thing. And then you zero in on this building, and that would be a tinier thing still. We live in this incredible place that is almost entirely empty. And if you talk uh, to many of the top scientists, they will say that the chance of there being life as we know it and experience on a planet, in our solar system, 
is infinitesimally small. All the things that have to be just right are so incredible that the chances we to write them down mathematically are out of this world. In that sense, we shouldn't be here at all. And yet we live in this universe. And many of you will have had this experience of maybe uh, we had some people around to dinner on Tuesday and we were sat outside because it was nice and warm and we were just sort of just gazing up at the stars just as they were coming. And you've maybe had that experience of just wondering about your size compared to the whole of the universe. And you can go two ways with that thought, of course, can't you? The first way you can go is just to say, well, I'm so insignificant. I'm so tiny compared to everything else. And that can lead you down a rabbit hole where you just say, well, I'm just, I obviously don't matter very much. I'm not worth anything. But the other direction you can go with that thought is to say, who or what is behind this incredible universe that we see? Because the chances of it all being thrown together randomly are so incredibly small. And so many, many, many Christian people down the centuries have looked at themselves and our place in this galaxy and have thought, do you know what? I think there's a really good chance that there is a creator. There is someone who's pulled all of this together. There is somebody who has made this and designed it and wanted it, willed it into being. And so that's not a knockdown argument in any sense at all for the existence of God. But it's, it's one of the things that has prompted many Christians uh, to think, Do you know, I, I think it's reasonable to say that behind the enormity and the intricacy and the fine-tunedness of all that we see, that behind that is a God, a, a mind, a creator, somebody who has willed it into being. Uh, the second thing that I'd want to say about why I believe in God is just because of the world that we live in. This world is so amazing. Uh, think of the, the beauty and the wonder of creation. And we've seen it on a day like today. Think about that just simple joy and pleasure of sitting outside on a late summer's evening, eating a burger with people, watching the sun go down, the air is warm. Uh, think about uh, the intricacy of uh, the created world. Uh, there may be some things that you particularly love uh, about it, whether it's places or things or animals, but just think of the beauty and the wonder of all that is around us. Think about the gift of friendship. Think about the gift of laughter. Think about those moments when you feel most fully alive. Now, for me, as a Christian... I just see all of those things as the gift of a good and a loving God to me and to us. And in one sense, a, a gift that is given, whether we acknowledge who gave it or not, but it is a gift that is generously given to us as people. Now, of course, you could say uh, these things are random. There is no giver. They just are. But of course, uh, for me, the more I experience the beauty, the wonder, the joy of life, so I experience those as a gift to me from God. A God who is deeply concerned and interested in us, 
in our world and who wants us to thrive, who, who guides us, uh, who blesses us, who wants us to flourish in the places that we are. And so for me, a second thing about why I came to believe in God was just that sense of looking around me and seeing the goodness of the world and just thinking, this is amazing. I don't know if you remember uh, those early days uh, for some of us a long time ago, for others of you more recently, you know, when you uh, came down on Christmas morning and uh, you tipped down maybe a little bit early and there under the tree were all of these presents. And there was one year when my two brothers and I did get down like really early and by the time my parents came down about an hour later, we'd worked out what every single present was you know, just by feeling and rattling and shaking and sort of looking at the size and looking at the shape. Now, imagine going to, going to that, you know, me and my two brothers and saying, you know, all these, all these gifts, all these things that you see around you, they, they just happen to randomly turn up here. No one knows how they got here. No one, we don't think they come from anywhere at all. It would be a much more reasonable conclusion to say if there are presents with labels on them saying, Dear Simon, Dear Jeremy, Dear Philip, Happy Christmas, Love Mum and Dad. And it would be a much more reasonable conclusion to say that those things are gifts given by people who love those children. And Christians would say that of the place that we live in, the world that we have, the life that we lead, that these are good gifts from a good God. Third thing for me about why I believe in God. One of the reasons I believe in God is because I am broken. And if I'm honest, I believe that you're probably a bit broken too. And if I'm honest, I would say that our world is also broken. Now, why does that make me believe in God? Uh, For this reason, because of that yearning that I have deep in my soul, and it may be a yearning that you recognize, that yearning to be whole and that yearning to be accepted for the person that I am, that yearning to be loved and that yearning for all those things that are broken in me to be gradually and patiently put back together. And the same would go for the state of our world. You know, there's never been a time in my, I'm 53 now, there's always been terrible news about parts of the world. Some, some of the parts of the world have gone in and out of the news in my lifetime. Others have pretty much stayed as a constant. Nobody needs to teach any of us that in the world there is evil. And there are people doing terrible things to other people. And there are people walking by when terrible things are done to innocent people. And there are people who are plotting dreadful things. There are people who are indifferent. There are people who are so selfish and so self-obsessed by material things that they completely ignore the plight of others. Now, why do we feel that way? And again, there are two possibilities. One is, it's just frustration. But many Christians would say the reason that we feel like that is because we have been created by a God 
who wants to heal us and wants to put us together. And we've been created by a God who loves justice and who loves things to be right and to be true and to be mended and to be reconciled. And so the reason that we feel all of those things about ourselves and about our community and about our world is that deep wired into every single one of us is, in a sense, the heart of God who wants and wills our world to know his healing and his reconciliation, but has given us in love this choice to make as to whether we will welcome his love or whether we will ignore it and turn our backs on it. Now, the last reason I would say I believe in God is because of the unsurpassing beauty and power of the life of Jesus Christ. And if you've read any of the Bible, uh, then maybe like me, you've been transfixed uh, by the life uh, that Jesus lived. And one of the songs we were singing earlier uh, referred to, in, in my mind, probably the greatest chapter in the New Testament, just because it's played such an important part in my own journey, which is Luke 15, uh, where Jesus tells three stories about uh, people or things that are lost. And in each one, uh, the reason he tells the story is to emphasize that God is a God who comes after, in the very best possible way, who comes after people who are lost and broken and frightened and afraid. And he has an unrelenting love. And Jesus showed that. He showed that in his attitude uh, to the people who were at the margins of his community. And of course, he showed it most supremely and amazingly and overwhelmingly in his willing death on the cross. And for me, when it comes down to it, the, the deepest and most profound reason for me to say I believe in God is because of what I believe God came to our earth to be and to do. And that was to die an innocent death in your place and my place. And to say, because I love you, and because I want you to be restored, and because I want you to stand up and go into my world and love as you have been loved, I will stand in the place of death, and I will stand in the place of desolation, and I will do it for you, and I will do it with love. And for me, that is the most profoundly compelling reason to say, I believe in God. And what we're going to do in these next weeks is simply to start to unpack a little bit more what that means. As I said, this thing that we're looking at, which is called the Apostles' Creed, was originally written as a, as a summary, as a big picture of what Christian faith is. And so we're going to just try and check off the really important parts in the big picture of the Christian story. And as you come back week by week, uh, some of the things that we talk about will be vaguely familiar. Some of them maybe will be less familiar uh, to you. But the invitation is to come and to be part of that and to learn with us and to see uh, the picture of God as it's revealed in the Bible uh, grow before your very eyes. As we do this, we welcome, we don't just welcome you, but we welcome your questions and we welcome your doubts, and we welcome your hurts, 
and we welcome the things that you're struggling with and that don't make sense to you. This is not a church just for people who already believe everything that Christians believe. It is a welcoming community where we, we welcome and we want to engage with all of the hurt and all of the doubt and all of the questions uh, that you carry. And we mean that uh, for real. Let me end uh, with uh, a prayer that dates from the 5th century. And it was written by an amazing chap. Uh, his name has comedy value now because we don't know the place where he comes from. His, his proper name is St. Augustine of Hippo. And uh, it's the hippo bit that gets, you know, is a bit of a smile. A hippo is a place in North Africa, or was when he was living there. And he was a young man who actually was a bit of a rebel. And uh, he basically, he decided, I am going to live life to the full. And he, he pretty much experienced every single way there was to live life to the full. Most of them were pretty abusive and didn't do him any good at all. And eventually, he, I think he would, he would use the word if he spoke English, he yielded himself to God. He gave himself back to God and said, I've, I want to stop running. I want to stop fighting. I just want to love you. And he has this amazing phrase that for me has resonated all the way through my Christian life from before the time I was a Christian right up to this morning when I was praying. And that phrase is, his, 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 when he was talking to God, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Isn't that amazing? Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. He's, he's put his finger on this universal human experience of a restless heart that is yearning, Christians would say, to know its creator, to go back to the source to know healing and to know love and to, great, and to know grace. And so I would just say this is a church for the restless heart. Our heart will remain restless till the day we die. That restlessness never stops. But it is answered. And our vision of God is expanded and amplified. And our wonder and awe at the love of God deepens and deepens and deepens. And so if you, if you would say, in all honesty, just in the quietness of this moment, that you have a restless heart, yearning to know more of the things of God, then just join me in this simple prayer. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for creating this amazing universe. And we thank you for the beauty of the world that you have given and we thank you that you know and see our hearts and you see the brokenness and you see the pain and you see the yearning. And we thank you, Lord, that you came in your son, Jesus, uh, to make this right and to show your love and your grace. Lord, my heart is restless. Our hearts are restless. And we know that they will remain restless and yearning and searching and looking until you find us, until you take us and you begin to reshape us. And we simply say, Lord God, we need that. We want that. We turn to you. 
We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.